Praise the Lord this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we are glad in it. Even though the weather has kept us a little bit down there throughout the week, we do encourage you to look up and to worship God this morning in song and in prayer, in praise. The Bible says, if you praise God, you glorify Him, you make Him great. So we must do that this morning as we come together and we ask the Lord's blessing on this word today that's going to be given. We invite you all just to take a moment and just in spirit and truth connect with God as we pray together. Father God, this morning is the Lord's day. This morning is the day of resurrection, is the day of new life. And how we bless you, Lord, that we identify with that new life you've given us through the change that you brought about in our hearts. I bless you for every family that experiences the true faith and believes and trusts and calls on the name of the Lord. I ask you this morning to bring about that spiritual change in each heart, that in each family there might be a renewal of faith and a new life in Jesus. Won't you bless our time together and Lord unite us in spirit, although we're so far from each other, through the message and through this media this morning. We pray that your name be made great in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our reading this morning, as we looked last week at the book of Acts, we looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, this morning I want to take you uh, through, back to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at the, the sermon that the Apostle Peter preached. Very briefly, of course, because it has a lot in it. Now, you listen to sermons every week. Sermons are dissertations, or as we put them together this morning, they are discourses that you listen to. They are explanations and exhortations that you listen to as men and women explain the Word of God to you. The question is this today, do you understand the message? If the sermon is the declaration, then you and I must receive the message. If you don't receive the message, there's either something wrong with the communicator or there's something wrong with your heart or your ears as you listen to the truth. What does the Word of God do? By the Spirit, it brings conviction and it brings conversion and it brings comfort to every heart. It does those three things. And as we come together this morning then, we, we pick up the story here in the book of Acts where Peter, where this whole wonderful phenomenon of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, uh, comes. And uh, of course, men and women are confused. In chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, um, the people ask the question, what could this mean? If you listen to a sermon this morning or on TV or on radio or over the phone, what does this mean? That's the first question you should be asking. And then Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. In other words, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. How could we be drunk? Well, I want him to come to Mayfair sometime and notice that that statement might not always be true, but be that as it may. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so he goes back to the book of Joel, 
and these verses come out of the Holy Scripture in the Old Testament. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And it shall come to pass, verse 21, that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we often think that's only for the New Testament. But listen to the message of the Old Testament. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and have put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by death. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. And of course the response to Peter's message, a sermon brings a result. It brings a challenge. <clears throat> and uh, Peter then, uh, as he continues to preach, he, he listens to them and, and, and they say, what must we do? They were pricked in their hearts. What must we do? And Peter says, repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Way back in 1969, I was uh, standing in front of my church one day. Uh, that's where I, my, my home church. And people were chatting and saying, well, you're going into ministry in this new year. And a very elderly gentleman, his name was Mr. Bell, I'll never forget him. He came up to me and he had a book in his hand, and the writer's name was J.G. Whale. I thought it was all about Jonah and the whale, but it wasn't. Uh, the book started and it opens with this sentence. Preach about God and about 20 minutes. Now for me that's a little impossible. But I always remember the verse, the, the quotation from this book that he gave me. And almost as though Mr. Bell, a bell rings, it chimes, you know. And I hear that very often in my own memory. Preach about God and about 20 minutes. Well, that's what a sermon is all about. It's about God and it's a little longer than 20 minutes. Well, what is a sermon? A sermon, as you look at this sermon, uh, it brings about a conviction in the heart of the listeners. It definitely does, but it has a, a, a few uh, elements to it. It has an announcement of fact. What facts does this sermon announce? Are you listening to the sermon today? You must hear some facts about the, the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is the teaching of truth. Thirdly, it's the explanation of the moral values of God our Father as he explains the character of Christ to us in the sermon. Lastly, it's application of the word to your situation and mine. You need to take this word this morning and apply it in the situation in which you live into your life today. Jesus, in his discourse on the Mount, on the Mount of Olives, had a sermon, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and the people listen. If you listen to Jesus preaching, what did he say to them? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You want to obtain mercy from God? You be merciful to other people. You show in your heart an attitude of mercy, and God will be merciful to you. That's the way we apply uh, Scripture.
to our hearts. Peter's sermon is a demonstration of the happenings of Pentecost. He was going to answer the question about this mighty demonstration of the Spirit of God. He was going to answer the question, what does this mean? Oh, I pray this morning that you'd find meaning in the Word of God. Because you see, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. You cannot have your faith grow unless you believe and apply the meaning of God's Word to your heart. Maybe you're stagnant in your spiritual life. Well, you, and you say, I want to be a person of faith and trust God. You must listen to the Word of God and understand it and apply it to your life. So Peter's sermon is an explanation uh, to his audience. His audience are Jews from all over the then known world. From Mesopotamia, from Felicitia, uh, from all over the world, from Judea. And they are sitting and listening to this explanation of this great phenomenon on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came. When the Spirit would then, from then on, be dominant in the life of believers. I'm speaking to you today, wanting you to, you to understand something, that the Holy Spirit only works in those who call on the name of the Lord and who now believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is dominant in all believers' lives and in the body of Christ. That's the only way you can experience God by faith in your life, is through the control of the Holy Spirit. From that day on, the Spirit would move did he move? If you read the rest of the book of Acts, this is what you'll find. Philip goes to Samaria. He's just a deacon, and he starts to preach. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God combine, and they bring forth a, a revival among the Samaritans. Philip is then called away, and he goes down, as we saw last week. He goes and he sees an Ethiopian a man riding a chariot all the way back to Ethiopia, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, but he doesn't know what he's reading. Philip drops up on that card and he explains the truth to them. Christian, your job might be not to read the Word of God to somebody, but to explain what they're reading. And do you understand what the Word of God is saying so that you can give the true message? Peter had to give the true message, interpreted as the Holy Spirit gave it to him. In the early church, the leaders of the church were all men and women who were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, even if they were deacons serving at tables, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were controlled by God. There's no menial Christian or second-class Christian. Every Christian has the right to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This sermon was an explanation and the answer to the question, what does this mean? Once again, I repeat it. What does this mean? I'm asking you, what does the Spirit mean in your life and in your church activity? What does it mean to you? Peter, under the anointing of God, explains that these people that you see speaking in this utterance and you understanding and interpreting it in your own language to yourself is this. He says, they're not drunk as you've said, for it's nine o'clock in the morning. Okay? But th this is the promise. And where does he go to to find this truth? Where do you go to to find explanations for experiences? You go back to the Word of God. And Peter, I'm, I'm positive he knew this off by heart. He quotes from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. And where do you find that? You find it in Acts 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And he goes all the way through 
And he says to me, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says right here in the Old Testament, this prophecy today is being fulfilled. Do you know your Bible? Do you know what's being fulfilled? Do you know what the meaning of these verses are for you today so that your faith can grow? That's what Bible reading and quiet time and sermons are all about. What's he saying? Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you're now seeing the promise of God fulfilled. Christian, I want to remind you, if you've received Christ this morning, then you've received the promise or the gift of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, I didn't say the filling, but I said those three. The promise, the gift, and the baptism are all what was promised. You listen to Acts chapter 1 and verse verse 5. And John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days now. Verse 8, you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. We looked at the witness last week. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the promise of God. This is the, the gift of God. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. His text is the scripture itself. You cannot interpret your experiences outside of scripture and call them spiritual. My beloved people, the explanation leads to a living revelation. When you read the Bible, there should be a spiritual revelation to your heart that this is my experience in Christ. You see, the expectation was a revival, a demonstration of power. That means that every individual has the living situation of new life in him as part of the body of Christ. And so we're going to look, that's our text. What is our text? Your text is always the scriptures. Your test is the scriptures, comes out of the text that you read. I was at college and many or many people were discussing many things in the day and I heard a young girl say, I don't care what the Bible says, I've experienced it. And the people said to her, listen, you need to go back to the Bible to see what you've experienced is of God. Well, ours was promised. Ours is a gift. Ours is a baptism as the Spirit comes to live within each and every one of us. So we look secondly at the context. If you have a text, you must have a context. The context is the circumstances in which this took place. Or the circumstances in which I find myself. And when the day of Pentecost was coming to Jerusalem in the upper room, those disciples in obedience, waiting on the Spirit, experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, which I believe is seasonal or daily in our life. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian unless you are, have received the gift of the Spirit and know the power in the filling of the Holy Spirit. The question, what does it mean? That God dwells in me by His Spirit now. That makes sense. I don't just know the Bible. I don't just have a name called Baptist or Anglican or Congregational. No, 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 no. I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me. And that's explainable through the Word of God that has come to my heart. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for those who believe. That's the context. Did they understand the coming of the Holy Spirit? They would have if they knew the scriptures. And you would know the, the working of the Holy Spirit in your life and see the evidence of it if you understand the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. It's very important. 
You can't operate as a believer without the word of God. For faith comes by hearing first the word of God. Watered by the Holy Spirit, bringing it to your understanding. And then faith comes into action. And so I say to you this morning that the context is very, very important. God was meeting with those 12 men, or those 11 men and the others in the upper room, but they would then touch the lives of thousands on the outside who came to hear what was going on. And so we go from the context of the message to who it is, to we go to the content. What is it about? And you see, I see Peter here making a declaration. He declares, he makes a statement of explanation. Well, that's a good sermon. And he's got substance. Many, many sermons that you listen to are just emotional stories. Or they are these promotions. They're promoting certain things. Sounds spiritual, but it's not spiritual. Peter makes a scriptural declaration. And when you and I listen to a preacher, he needs to make a scriptural declaration. Let's listen to this declaration here. And it will come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a declaration. Have you ever declared these scriptures to anybody else? Well, if you do, the Spirit of God will be working mightily through that verse, through that seed in the life of someone else. That is part of the content. What's it based on? It was a pure announcement of fact. Firstly, it's based on prophecy. The Bible is prophetic. And, but this prophecy had a distinction to it. It was fulfilled. Isn't it amazing? They were there at the moment of fruition. Fulfillment. They were experiencing what the Bible said. Experience God, my people, by being obedient to the Word of God and looking at it as prophecy foretold in your life. You see, it gives meaning to history. That's what prophecy does. It gives meaning to my life. I'm part of God's plan in history. God is in control. And I'm walking with him in his purpose every day. Peter, as we, uh, as we listen to him preach here, he continues to say, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Well, now, what were Peter's words all about? They weren't worth much unless he was saying, God's word, repeating God's word to them. And every preacher worth his salt is going to repeat God's word. Verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles. What does that mean? Men of Israel, listen to the words of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's the good news of Christ. In Jesus is wrapped up the good news of Jesus Christ. Firstly, you've got uh, the good news of Christ is in the incarnation. Our Bible reveals the wonder works of God in the incarnation. The word incarnation means that's when God became Jesus. When God became man. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Yeah, he was just an ordinary man. But he was, if you looked at him closely and listened to him closely, he was the God-man. If you watched him carefully, you would see that he is truly the God-man, the Messiah, the Son of God. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He was the Word that was truly made flesh that came to live amongst us. What does God do? The Bible says in the second part here, if the incarnation, every single gospel message must declare the incarnation. 
when God became man, and that the Son of God is the Son of God by the very work of God in the incarnation. That's when Mary received the Spirit and she brought forth that child called Emmanuel, God with us. The second part I need us to notice here in the, in the incarnation is that God confirmed it. Listen to what the scripture says. So a man attested by God, confirmed by God. I need you to know this morning that God confirms the doctrine of the virgin birth. Jesus is virgin born. That is not just an imagination of some writer's mind to put it in the Bible. That was a confirmation by God from all eternity. And how does God confirm that? The, the virgin birth is a miracle birth. Agreed? Yes, it's a miracle birth. There's no other birth like it on earth. It's a God birth. And you see, when Jesus Christ is born, it shows his uniqueness as a child, as fully man and yet fully God. But the Bible also says that he came with wonders. Miracles, wonders. So it's an interesting word. The word wonders is this. What did the Creator do He when He created the world? He spoke it into existence. But yes, sits the Creator in Jesus Christ in a little boat and a storm comes. And He says, wait, be silent, come sit, sit here quietly. And the Bible says, it was still. Wow. They would in that boat look at it in awe and wonder at the great work of the Saviour. God demonstrates, he confirms who Jesus is through the miracle of calming the sea. That's important for our preaching and teaching, for our understanding of who Christ is, for our explanation to others as to who Christ is. Thirdly is this, by signs, well if you go into the New Testament and you look at John's Gospel, all of his miracles of Jesus that he chose were signs, semions, that point to who Christ is. And so when Jesus turns water to wine, he didn't make it just for the feast. He did it that they might believe. What must they believe? That they would accept the sign and see who it's pointing to and what it's pointing to. Is that the way you see your sermon this morning? It's pointing me to a truth that I need to understand about God in Christ. What is the, what is the teaching of the water to wine? Transformation. He, he took it from, from water, he transformed it, he changed the state of it to wine, another state. And you and I, looking as we believe, are transformed by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. How does he, Jesus change our lives? By the power of the Spirit. He, he rebirths us, he regenerates us, makes us new through his word. And so we say that to you this morning, every gospel sermon must understand and have the incarnation. It is God certifying his word and his truth in and through that, just like he did with Jesus. And then we take verse 23 and we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is based on the crucifixion. Every good sermon must have something of the cross of Christ in it. And he says this, uh, Verse 23, him, that's Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified or put to death. Now, Peter was pretty bold. These Jews had crucified Jesus a couple of days before. Now he's accusing them. You murderers, you put Christ to death. You're guilty of the greatest crime in history, he's saying. Well, all right. 
you have crucified and put to death. Ah. This was all in the eternal plan of God. Now, of course, they'd feel guilty about that. And you don't only come to Jesus on the basis of your guilt, but you come, come to Jesus on the basis of your, your repentance towards God. And what he's saying in these verses is, this is not an accident of God. Listen to the words carefully. He says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. All this was in the eternal mind of God long before the act took place. Jesus Christ had died as the Lamb of God in the, from the foundation of the world. It was all in the mind of God. But it became practical in the plan of God through the life of Jesus. This is not an emergency plan for the Son of God, for God to save the world through the Son of God. No, this was the divine plan right from the beginning of eternity. God had this in mind. It was by God that Jesus was sent. Jesus didn't come on his own. He was sent by God. It was agreed he would come. So the cross was a window in time through which we can see the suffering love of God. And oh, I want you to take a note with me here this morning. If you look at the death of Jesus on the cross, in the pre-eternal determined heart and mind of God, he knew that he would witness the suffering love of his son. But God gave sacrificially his son to you and me. There is no other religion in the world that has a suffering saviour. And when God had to deal with sin, sacrifice was necessary. The suffering of Jesus on the cross to show the, 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 the immensity, the, the, the awfulness of sin. That's what Christ took upon his body. One writer put it this way. Jesus became sin for us. If you don't believe that, you cannot be forgiven of sin. You cannot have a sacrifice for sin. He became sin for us. Who knew no sin? The innocent became guilty. Christ hung on that cross as though he had sinned every sin on earth. You see, when you look at the cross, you see a demonstration of God's love. Oh, he loves you with that everlasting love. For God so loved the world. And brothers and sisters, we're reminded in every message on the good news that God is love. What is eternally in the heart of God we see on the cross? The cross is the greatest crime in history. They took what? A beautiful life and they bent it. They destroyed it on the cross by crucifying it. Secondly, I want us to notice here that the great revelation of God's judgment for sin, that's how much God hated sin, and he would give the suffering love of his son for the sacrifice of your sin and mine. Now that's tremendous. There was a, a missionary preaching in an Indian village many, many years ago, and he showed a slide on, on, a, on a wall of Jesus hanging on a cross. And the chief, after a couple of minutes, got off of his... his um, chair and he walked towards the wall and he knelt down and he said this I not you should have died I not you should have died there are no truer words than that the cross then when Peter preached the truth about it it pierced the hearts of those who listened 
My, if the death of Jesus doesn't bring you to tears, doesn't bring you to a realization, doesn't bring you to a fear of hell and damnation and, and your lostness, you're lost indeed. The cross pierced their heart. They were pierced in their hearts. And they said, um, you know, what, what must we do? Well, we're reminded in the scriptures of a man at the cross who was pierced in his heart too. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Next, I want us to notice that Peter speaks about not only the crucifixion and death of Jesus, that would have been wonderful, but there's more to it than that. Whom God raised up, Jesus, having raised up, uh, loosed the pains of death because it was possible that he should be held by it. The resurrection, when God raised Jesus from the dead, I'm going to put it just simply to you. Death couldn't hold the Son of God in the ground. I want to declare to you today, death has held Muhammad in the ground. He's still dead. Death has held Confucius in the ground. He's still dead. And all my brothers and sisters, Jesus is not dead. He is risen. And that's the Christian message, the living message that was ignited by the Spirit that day when it spoke of Christ. And says that he is living because the spirit is life. Because it's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. There are two other aspects quickly. You see, Jesus was exalted. That is his ascension. Thirdly, he was glorified. He's, uh, the prophet says, you shall call him both Lord and Christ. Jesus was glorified. But I want to come to the second last point of this message this morning. A good message, a good sermon brings exhortation. It's not just a laying down of the facts or an interpretation of the, of the context. A good sermon is the exhortation or bringing the conviction of the teaching to your heart. When they heard these things, they were pierced in their heart. You are responsible for what you hear. But oh, my friends, listen. You can hear with one ear and it'll go out the other ear. But when you start to listen with your heart, you begin to experience the reality of truth. And I lovingly appeal to you this morning, when last did the Word of God ever move you? When did these beautiful scriptures, ever did God's voice ever move your heart? Our prayer this morning is, that you will be moved, once again, pierced in your own hearts. That means convicted of the things that are true in the scriptures today. Take note of this, this thing. It's not just a mechanical operation. It's a conviction of sin. And then they said this, what must we do? Well, we go back to the verse of the scripture. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever believes... And says, Jesus shall be saved. And what does Peter tell them to do? Repent of their sin. I need to go back to, my, to, to God and repent of my attitude to the word of God. If I'm not listening to what it's saying because I don't like it. But let me say this to you. When those believers for the first time heard this message, they had to repent of sin. What was repentance? A change of mind. If you don't change your mind, you'll never change your attitude to God. That's the second part. A change of heart is a change of attitude, a change of the old ways. When you repent, you don't go back to your old way of living, 
your old habits, you repented. I changed my mind about it. I've turned away from it. I've turned to God. Thirdly is this, repentance changes the past. You see, what does it mean? He says, for the remission of sins. The word remission is forgiveness of sins. Do you know the forgiveness of sins? If you have forgiveness of sins in your heart today, you have peace with God. That means if you know, if you die today, you'd go to heaven. But you know the sin of yesterday is forgiven. The consequences might still come. But listen, you are forgiven before God. Just as if you'd never sinned. Because you've repented. So your past is taken care of only through repentance. Thirdly, or fourthly here, repentance changes my future. Peter says, repent and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You cannot receive Jesus without the Holy Spirit because it's a spiritual transaction. It's a spiritual birth. You will receive the gift of God. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will indwell you. I didn't say he'd fill you. I said he'd indwell you. He must indwell you to enlighten you, to show you, to let you experience Jesus in your life. And this is what was happening to them. They were filled. They, were, they, they received the gift. They were baptized into the body of Christ. They knew they belonged from the inside out. They experienced a transformation of heart. And the result in their life would be a change of character. Ladies and gentlemen, you might have prayed a hundred prayers to ask God to forgive your sins, but never have a changed heart and never come to peace with God because you've never truly repented. Transformation takes place through the work of the Spirit in your life. From that what I used to be to what God intended me to be. And you'll see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness. They're not just a statement of fact. Oh, they become a reality in my own character and my own life. What is my conclusion then today for a good sermon? Is call on the name of the Lord. That means you must believe. Do you believe this morning? If, you, if it's cold there, if it's indifferent there, listen, call on the name of the Lord. Through the word that's come to you, put faith in that word by the Spirit and believe God and you will be saved. What a marvelous transaction of salvation. Many years ago, I used to go with my parents to a, a, a drive-in, a Christian drive-in in Klugersdorf on Saturday evenings. And the man who ran it, I just know him as Mr. Thomas. And my, he had a powerful testimony. And the one evening as he shared the testimony, he said, he, he was a drunk and a wife beater. He was a useless husband and a useless father. Everything that mattered to him was in a bottle of liquor. Well, he said his wife pleaded with him. The church pleaded with him. His parents pleaded with him. Nothing changed him. And one evening, in a drunken stupor, coming home from somewhere on the Kruisdorp Road, he overturned his, his, his vehicle and he landed in a ditch. And it was in early hours of the morning and it was so cold he could, could understand that he was wounded but he was bleeding, he was bleeding out. But it was so cold that he froze. And in those moments as he lay there, nobody knew he was there. He called on the name of the Lord. And that's what I want to share with you today. Because God's spirit is a creative spirit, is a living spirit is the Spirit of God in power 
God's Spirit brought life into him that day. He listened to the cry of the sinner. And Thomas was converted in that motor car. He should have died that, that day, but he received Jesus Christ into his life. People found him, rushed him to hospital, and the doctor said this to him, if it hadn't frozen last night, you would have been beautifully bled out. You would have died. Ah, uh, he said, that's God's way of giving me a chance. I called on the name of the Lord, and I was saved last night. Well, of course, he opened that Christian drive-in, and I witnessed with my own eyes the thousands of people who used to flick their lights and come and receive a little booklet on salvation and be counseled and be prayed for. God touched a life, saved a life, and reinvested that life for his kingdom and for his glory. You're saved not to sit. You're saved to serve. If you're not saved this morning, won't you call on the name of the Lord? If you're not repentant this morning, in your own heart, I ask you to repent because that's calling and believing on the name of Jesus. Recognizing you're a sinner and inviting Christ to come into the life. And you too will experience the spirit of Pentecost in your heart and in your life. Let's bow for a few moments in prayer. As we pray this morning, Father, we invite each and every one who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior to simply pray and invite him into their life knowing that the word of God has brought conviction and that there's true repentance, true godly sorrow in those hearts. I pray for Christians whose hearts have got cold and whose hearts have got callous to sin, who can't repent anymore. I pray, Lord, for a conviction of the Spirit through the word that they too, Lord, might experience again the mighty moving of the Spirit in their lives. Forgive and cleanse us from our sin. O oh Lord, our God, looking at you, the Savior, the one who brought suffering love to save us with. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name this morning. As we pray for the sick, heal them. As we pray, Lord, for those in need, supply their need. As we pray for those, Lord, who are spiritually cold, draw them back to you. As we pray for those, Lord, who say, what does this mean? Lord, save them by your grace this morning. In Jesus' name we thank you, bless you, and praise you. Amen. Amen. As you call on the name of the Lord this morning, we just simply ask you as a church to remember your tithes this week. We're down in, in COVID, we're locked down. Please take the banking details and put your tithe, no matter how much it is, please just put it in for this week. We need to make, uh, we need to come through financially as well. Secondly, please make sure that you bring your prayer requests to us. We put them on our, our group, making sure all, all of our believers can pray for you. We love you out there and we believe you. if you have a need, God will answer. He's answering many prayers as we pray here each day. Secondly, is this, you've received a little booklet, those of you who've been on, on our feeding program. We trust that you'll start the Bible study in your home. I'm asking every Christian to ignite the flame of Bible study. You can receive it free of charge, and you can do it on your own, and uh, bring, it, bring it to us with a market. If you want a certificate, that'll be fine. But it brings fellowship, half an hour per family per week, as you gather around the Word of God. Keep praying for COVID to leave, and please stay under the wings of the cherubim, the shadow 
of the Almighty. God bless you. We love you. Continue to serve the Lord. Amen.